the June 2016 GDUI Juno Report Convention Edition. I could never give them up. If I only had a dollar for every time I've heard that. Puppy raiser Debbie Wine discusses coping with having to give up her puppy in training. Becky Davidson discusses preparing your dog for convention. You're going to need to pack for both yourself and your dog. And for the next two months, we'll be featuring two of the top guide dog instructors in the United States. This month, we feature Lucas Frank from The Seeing Eye. Can you tell me what the most significant thing is from a mobility perspective that's changed in all the years that you've been traveling independently since you lost your sight in 1926? And I thought he would say something like, well, the traffic is much quieter and the cars are faster. or God knows what I thought he would say, but I was pretty sure it would be something along those lines. He didn't hesitate for a minute. I said, so what was the most significant change from a travel perspective? And he said air conditioning. In this edition, we'll hear about the GDUI convention program from members of the program committee. Plus, much, much more on this edition of the GDUI Juno Report. chatting with Lucas Frank from The Seeing Eye. And what is your official position these days? Uh, sitting. Sitting. <laughs> As opposed to the standing... No. All right, that's... My official title these days is Senior Consultant for Special Projects. Talk to us a little bit about the history of mobility, the air conditioning, because I thought that was very fascinating. I trained a fellow named Abe Karp. He's, he's long dead. Uh... But I, he, uh, he lived in Grand Junction, Colorado, and uh, he got his first dog. He, he, he lost his sight in, in, I believe, 1926. I asked him, I interviewed him, actually, and, and uh, I, I said, can you tell me what the most significant thing is from a mobility perspective that's changed in all the years that you've been traveling independently since you lost your sight in 1926? And I thought he would say something like, well, the traffic is much quieter and the cars are faster. or God knows what I thought he would say, but I was pretty sure it would be something along those lines. He didn't hesitate for a minute. I said, so what was the most significant change from a travel perspective? And he said, air conditioning. And I said, what? What are you talking about? And he said, no, air conditioning really was the most significant change. I said, why? And he said, well, before there was air conditioning, every shop that you went by, the door was open at least in the summer, spring, and fall. And you could tell where you were completely by scent. You didn't need much else. Once there was air conditioning, all the stores closed their doors, and you couldn't smell, any, couldn't smell anything anymore. It had a tremendous impact on my ability to get around. And that really surprised me. Oh, it just wasn't something I had thought about. And it's something that I, I think in, in cultures other than our own must remain a very, very significant thing for you. And that's the story. And I can just imagine, you know, you go by a shoemaker shop. And of course, there were shoemaker shops in those days. You know, you go by a pharmacy, you go by a grocery store, fruit stand. You can imagine all the different, you know, sort of olfactory landmarks that existed on a route, you know, in those days. It's just not there anymore. Let's talk about the impact of mobility today. What do you think is the hardest 
and most difficult thing that's impeding blind people, and I'm sure it's not the air conditioners not being smelled. What do you think is the hardest thing for blind people and guide dogs today? Well, I personally think that, 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 that we're in a rather deteriorating mobility environment. I think uh, uh, overall things are deteriorating from a number of factors, you know, from, a, from a, the perspective of a blind traveler. One being, you know, I, I spend a fair amount of time bucking around at the archives at the Seeing Eye, looking at the old films and old videos and so on and so forth. And one of the cool things about that is that you can look at uh, film of Morristown because you know we make publicity videos every decade. Oh, that maple and, tree they uh, cut down. Oh, shame, shame, shame. Well, for example, but I mean, you all, but that, that's that's the the least of it. You know, yeah. I mean, you every decade you, you're you're looking at the changing infrastructure around you. You know, I mean, from from in the 30s where where all the awnings on South Street were you know five foot three. And you had to do all that overhead work oh, wow. to the fact that back then there were there was no ADA that said things had to be above uh, a certain height. Um, there were signs the same, you know. The, the the prevalence of overheads in those days was was huge compared to what it is now. And uh, uh, on on the on the positive side, there were high curbs then everywhere. Now they're all gone. So you know, flushed. So that and that's one part of a deteriorating. Uh, sort of infrastructure from the point of view of access because you have the high curbs are gone and everything's flush now, uh, or, or more or less flush. And, and that's a good thing, of course, as a net gain for a lot of people who, who need that, uh, uh, that accommodation. And the textual warnings, of course, have helped quite a bit, but it's not quite the same. Uh, and, you know, when you combine that with, with quiet cars, you know, and the fact that cars have gotten so much quieter and are getting quieter still, and when you combine that with, with, with design changes, which, which overall, from a society from society's point of view, are a net gain. Uh, so you know that, for example, roundabouts, which are can be quite difficult for for blind pedestrians, are are a net gain to society because they reduce accidents and injuries and fatalities and intersections, but can make it quite a bit harder to get across some major intersections if they're, if they're converted into roundabouts. Uh, and beyond that, shared space design, which. Uh, uh, is is coming uh, a little, little more slowly here in the United States, uh, partly because of the ADA, I think, uh, than it is in in other places. But for example, Portland, Oregon has has elements of, of shared space design. They're talking about that kind of change. Uh, are are you referring to now. Are you refer- referring to multimodal transportation where you have bicycles, trains, and cars in the same area? Is that what you're? Well, bicycles, bicycles, trains, uh, and pedestrians. Right. And cars in right. the same area with, with very little delineation, uh, or, or differentiation between the various areas where, where what happened and they reduce signage so to force drivers to be cautious through, uh, just sort of a natural caution rather than having a sense of, of, uh, entitlement to go in a certain direction because there's a traffic light and a sign that says you can. So, I mean, there's a large movement in Europe, in Australia, in New Zealand, and in, and in the United States towards shared space design. And I think ultimately all of these things are going to result in changes in, in the way guide dogs are trained and the way people who are blind, uh, travel. And, uh, you got these, um, walking texters that are like nightmares from, you know where because they they don't they don't look oh, up yeah. and I got slammed into by one the other day which which um, was kind of cool because she actually dropped her phone because of it and I was like ha but yeah, anyway <laughs> no you're absolutely true I was on a it's absolutely right I, I was on a college campus uh, 
uh, a few months ago. And, of course, dog guides very commonly work somewhat left of center. Uh, and uh, the uh, we were walking on the campus, and if there were a group of people coming towards us, you were fine. But if it was a single individual, the, dog, the fellow I was working with, the dog happened to be working somewhat left. And, of course, everybody else was walking right, staring at their phones. And it was an experience unlike anything I've ever had before. Uh, just how many people sort of went, ah, jumped out of the way or, 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 you know, that type of thing. Absolutely phenomenal. It's really a very significant change in the environment indeed. Where, where you can true. see, where you can hear a whole group of people talking and you're thinking they're talking to themselves, but they're, I mean, they're talking to other people, but they're really all talking on their phones and it's kind of spooky. It is very strange. So, you know, again, again, I, I, my, my, my perception is that the, the pedestrian environment is changing overall. Uh, there are some positive aspects to it. Uh, for example, the, uh, the increasingly more common accessible pedestrian signal, uh, which is, is basically just a little bit of an equalizer, you know, in, in terms of, uh, w- what's happening with design. But, but overall, I think the environment, uh, from a pedestrian point of view generally, and especially for a, a blind pedestrian, is, is deteriorating. And, and I think it, it's going to have an impact in, 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 in lots of ways, some big and some subtle going forward for sure maybe i could leave the gdui users who are listening with uh, what is the newest frontier that you guys are working on in training you know we 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 use um we use clicker training sparingly uh and food sparingly uh in in the way we approach stuff we we you know we uh we we do uh, some targeting work with our dogs and and uh i think that that uh uh we, we've used it to improve our country work to, to great effect in our training process, not in, in what we ask our students to do. But we've been quite slow to, to get on that particular bandwagon. Uh, we've, we've adopted, adopted it where we thought it helped us, and, and our, you know, just, and, but basically we, we, we didn't feel it was terribly broke, and we don't really feel a need to fix it. Well, Lucas, I'll let you go. Thank you very much. People really look up to your, you, you know, you and Michelle Pouliot are two of the you know, real top-notch uh, instructors, and they, you know your stuff. So, I appreciate it. Well, thanks. It's really, I'm really sad that to, to see, see that Michelle is retiring in July. That's a, a huge, huge loss of the field, and uh, she's a good friend and uh, has been a, a, a mentor to me and in, in many ways. And I just admire the heck out of her. So, uh, you know, certainly, let me take this opportunity to, to wish her all the best. Thank you, Lucas. All right. Ever wondered what it would sound like to hear a dog being interviewed for a position as a guide dog? Well, wonder no more. This job's about giving somebody independence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 24-7, no holidays. Oh, um... How do you feel about making life or death decisions? I think I'm pretty good. Training's 10 years. Okay. Because you can't interact with anyone and you can... Only walk in a straight line. A straight line. What do you mean? Okay. Do you frighten easily? No. Except in horror movies. <laughs> Good. Um. Hmm. Have a biscuit. You can't do that. This job's about resisting temptation. Okay. Um, what's the pay? Love. Just love. 
car? How about our car? You get love. Hmm. What about presents and gifts? Mm. No. Oh. Uh oh, it's in the doghouse. This week's hints and tips from Becky Dickinson on preparing your guide dog for the upcoming GDUI convention. The first thing to remember is that you need to prepare both yourself and your dog. Now, obviously, preparing yourself would be things like, you know, getting as much information about as about the convention site and how to get there as you can, making your reservations, doing all the obvious things. But you're you're going to need to pack for both yourself and your dog. And you need to think ahead. One of the great things they do at the ACB convention is give us the opportunity to pre-order our dog food, which my husband, who's also a guide dog user, and I both do every year because that takes up a lot of room in your suitcase. You can go to scoopmasters.com, and I think it's slash ACB. Um, The information is all on the ACB website, and I believe it's also on the GDUI website. Um, but that, that, that you will find to be very helpful. Um, and they're really good about having your food there when you get there. Uh, and be sure that you bring some, a dog's favorite toy. I would avoid squeaky toys. Remember, you're going to be in a hotel room. But, um, but bring your, a, a, some, a chew toy or something that your dog really likes and that will help them relieve stress. Um, and try to plan your day so that you don't have to change your dog's schedule too much. Um, life happens. We all know that. Conventions can be crazy. And so, you know, you want to make sure that you can be as consistent with your dog as, as possible, recognizing that it's not always going to be possible. Um, try to put some time in your day, plan some time in your day, maybe around your dog's park times or relieving times where you can spend a little time just playing with your dog. Uh, I think probably one of the things that um, that you really want to be co- conscious of is how important it is to be patient both with yourself and with your dog. Um, your expectations need to be realistic. You're not always going to know where to go when you walk in the door. There are volunteers all over the place. Don't be afraid to ask for help or to accept help. Um, nobody else knows where they're going either the first couple days. Um, it's, it's all good. Um, but don't put it on your dog to say, you know, go to the elevator when you can't give your dog an idea where the elevator is yet. Um, that's really not fair to your dog, and it, it can lead to frustration for you. So, you know, be patient with yourself. Be patient with your dog. Um, you'll be greeting friends. Your dogs will be greeting friends. It's, you know, convention is a, is a big, um, it's a big meeting place. And, you know, try to have your dog under control, but recognize that dogs are checking each other out, too. And you can limit that and keep your dog under control, but don't get angry with your dog for doing it. Um, and really, I think one of the hardest things for me as a guide dog user, because this will be my, I think it's my 16th ACB convention, and I've been to three um, NFB conventions, 
And what breaks my heart the most is when I hear people getting frustrated, yelling at their dogs and yanking their dogs around. That doesn't help either one of you. Sometimes when you're in a frustrating situation, you're feeling lost, the best thing you can do is step out of the main pathway, drop the dog's harness, just hold on to the leash, take several deep breaths, calm yourself down, put your hand on your dog's head, tell it good dog, get your perspective back. So what if you're a couple minutes late? You know, the world's not going to end. Thanks to Becky Davison for that contribution. And if you have any tips or suggestions, you can record them on our Juno line at 916-250-2629. That's 916-250-2629. Lillian Scaife discusses the program schedule for the upcoming 2016 GDUI convention. Sunday, July 3rd. From 11 a.m. to 12 noon in the GDUI suite, there will be a workshop helping your guide dog deal with the stresses of convention. Presenters will be Bob Winsler from Guide Dogs of the Desert and Becky Barn Davison from Guiding Eyes. At 1 p.m. on Sunday, will be our first orientation for guide dog users that want orientation to the hotel and seasoned trainers will be conducting these orientations. Between 2 p.m. and 4, Debbie Grubb, GDI affiliate liaison, she will be conducting a meeting so all affiliates Please send your representatives between 4 and 5 p.m. will be GDI's annual board meeting. Penny Reader will be conducting GDI president, and all members are invited. I'm Brianna Murray, and I'm going to talk about Monday's convention. We have our guide dog breakfast walk, as usual. And in the afternoon, we have our guide dog school updates, where you can learn about the different guide dog schools and updates on each of them. Um, we also have a presentation on Lyft, Uber, and other hot topic transportation issues at the moment. We have the inside and outside of your guide dog presentation. And that is kind of about the history of the dogs and how their bodies differ from ours and how we can develop stronger partnerships with them. And we have a first-timers panel. And at night, we have staying on target with your dog, which is a workshop on targeting how to find specific things like mailboxes and chairs and teaching your dog how to find those. And that's the one I'm personally really excited about. Hi, I'm Min, and we have a really great slate of events for you on Tuesday, July 5th. And the first one is at 1.15. We have Dr. Jessica Levy, who is a holistic veterinarian. She's going to come and talk to us about different natural supplements that you can give to your dog um, to help with skin and coat and different nutrition stuff just to help make your dog be healthier and at 245 we have a session on canine first aid and the firefighter um, department and the basic animal rescue training they're going to come and talk to you about how you can protect yourself and your dog during different emergencies then afterwards at 4.15, there's a joint session with ACV students on different travel apps that you can use in conjunction with your guide dog and your cane to be more independent. And the last one on Tuesday 
is um, Carla Campbell, who is a canine massage therapist. She's going to lead you through different massage techniques that you can use on your dog to help relax and de-stress your dog after a long day of work. And there's a small fee, I believe it's $6, and that starts at 7 Hi, I'm Caitlin Mangillo, and I'm a member of the Programs Committee, and I'm going to be talking about our Wednesday, July 6th activities. So at 12.15, we are going to have our luncheon speaker, who is Bob Bailey. He's the founder and CEO of the Mira Guide Dog Foundation USA campus. Um, Mira provides guide dogs to children who are from the ages of 11 to 18. It's the only school in the United States that actually uh, lets kids receive guide dogs. He'll be talking a little bit about his own journey with blindness and his guide dog, how he founded the school, and some of their success stories from their past graduates. It's going to be a really exciting presentation, so we'd love to have you. The cost to pre-register for the luncheon is $30, um, and at the convention itself, it's $32. We'll also be doing raffle drawings and presenting our annual awards at the luncheon. Later that evening, from 7 to 8 p.m., we have Lauren Ross, who's a trainer from Guide Dogs for the Blind. She's a field representative out in Chicago, and she's going to be talking about traveling with your guide dog in inclement weather conditions. She's also going to be showing us some of the tools um, that we can use, like boots and coats um, and cooling vests or bandanas um, to keep our guides comfortable in the crummy weather. So we definitely think that's going to be an excellent hands-on presentation, and it'll give you some ideas for birthday gifts for your guide dog. That is what we'll wrap up our convention with. So um, we really hope that you enjoy all of our events, and we look forward to seeing you in Minneapolis. Remember to monitor the website, www.guidedogusersinc.org, to find out more about the 2016 GDUI convention. Debbie Cordry Wine is a puppy raiser with the San Ramon Valley Puppy Club and is on her fourth puppy for Guide Dogs for the Blind. She discusses coping with returning the dog back to the school. I could never give them up. If I only had a dollar for every time I've heard that. As a puppy raiser for Guide Dogs for the Blind, I've had variations of that comment made to me hundreds of times. Each time I hear it, I have to admit that I bristle a little bit inside. Do people somehow think that my heart is calloused and that it's easy to give these dogs back? Oh my goodness, no, no, and no. It's far, far, far from being easy. Guide Dog's Hands is a cute, fluffy, adorable, but squirmy, noisy, messy, unhousebroken, no house manners, undisciplined, and wonderful ball of fur when it's just eight weeks old. In an instant, I have fallen in love. From that moment on, that puppy is very much at the forefront of my life. It requires constant supervision and care, regardless of the time of day, how I feel, or weather conditions. When illness comes, it's often in the middle of the night. It needs to be supervised, even when I'm sick. I stand in the pouring rain or in the hot sun teaching it to do your business on command. As it grows, it's able to begin to explore the world with me and to socialize and expose it to all the sights and sounds and smells of the world. He follows me everywhere around the house. He sleeps beside my bed. He goes everywhere, and I do mean everywhere, with me. He is literally by my side 24-7. He's my companion and in many ways my best friend. He looks up at me with trusting eyes, 
when looking for affirmation, direction, or security. He offers me those same loving eyes when I'm distressed or sad. I understand his facial expression and body language, and he knows mine. I am my pup's person. Months and months pass as this bond deepens and grows, and as my pup approaches 15 to 18 months of age, I begin to realize that our time together is near its end. The sadness begins to set in, knowing that our time for goodbye is nearing. Before I'm ever ready, I get the notification that it's time for my pup to go back to guide dogs to begin formal training on how to guide someone who's visually impaired. I know it's coming, and yet it wrecks me. We begin our lasts, the last time doing this together and the last time doing that. I take as many pictures and videos as I can, knowing that I may never see my beloved pup again. It's finally the day. My husband and I make the drive to the guide dog campus, and I find myself reaching out and touching my dog constantly. My pup snuggles up against me, somehow sensing my heartbreak. When we exit the freeway, I know we only have moments left together, and I'm a mess. Tears are streaming down my face. Before this is over, I will be doing the ugly cry, and it won't matter who sees me, because there's no stopping it. I look over, and my husband is crying too. We pull into the parking lot, and the pup nuzzles between the two of us, and we lay hands on him, and we pray. We commission this dog for the service that we have worked so hard to prepare him for. We pray for the pup's future. We pray for the trainers, and most importantly, for our pup's future partner. We don't even know this person yet, but he or she is already a part of our life, connected by this precious pup. We say our final goodbyes and leave the kennel holding an empty leash where love was once attached. The symbolism is painful. The companion who's been by my side 24-7 is no longer there, and I feel as if my arm has been cut off and my heart has been wrenched out. And no, it doesn't get easier with each dog. But what does happen is that my heart is enriched more and more with each dog. Each one teaches me lessons about life and myself that I didn't know or understand. I'm a better person as a result of having had this pup in my life. My heart and my home have been filled with love and laughter. Each one opens the door to conversations with strangers who then become friends. Each pup has a future that is bigger than me. Yes, it's hard to give my, my dog up, but it was never my dog to begin with. I had the blessing of my pup's love and the presence for a season, and I have had a small part in a profound love and bond that my dog is meant to have with someone else. My pup learned to love and to trust because of me, and I learned to love and trust because of my pup. My pup is now someone else's pup has bonded with their visually impaired partner in even deep in ways, deeper ways than I could have ever imagined. He is impacting a life and opening doors for them in ways that, for me, are almost inconceivable. And I had something to do with that. In many ways, raising a puppy like this is a very selfish endeavor because I get so very much out of it. Yes, the goodbye is hard, but I love every minute of puppy raising. And Lord willing, I will probably do it the rest of my life. So, think twice before you say, I could never do that. It won't be easy, but I guarantee it will be worth it. Trust me.
I know. The GDUI Juno Report was edited and produced by Dan Kaiser. Contributors, Becky Davison. Lillian Scaff, the GDUI Convention Program Committee Chair and her committee. Tyler Littlefield. Will Burley. And special thanks go to Debbie Cordray-Wine for her contribution of I Could Never Give Them Away. To record a tip, suggestion, or comment on the GDUI Juno line, you can dial 916-250-2629. That's 916-250-2629. If you'd like more information about GDUI, its programs, membership, go to www.guidedogusersinc.org. Until next month, safe travels with your guide.